HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. In the Tuxpan region of Jalisco, like in many regions of Mexico, agave spirits are integrated into the fabric of daily life. They're part of the religion, literally, the spirits, and they're almost always called some form of mezcal locally, even though they are not certified. The spirits are served at every one of the community's many religious fiestas. So when the production of these spirits is at risk, literally, the cultural heritage of the entire community is at risk. And that's what's happening in one community in Tuxpan. Don Arturo is a fifth-generation mescalero, or palenquero, or tabanero, or really tachiquero, because that's what his family calls their little distillery, a tachica. It was built by Don Arturo's father, who learned the craft from his father, who learned the craft from his father. And add one more father, because Don Arturo is, as I say, fifth generation. So Don Arturo's Tachica is a hillside gem, a couple of clay-topped steel pot stills, in-ground fermenters, and an earthen oven overlooking a forested hillside. But that hillside is eroding. The rains from the extreme weather that has been plaguing the region in recent years is literally washing away Don Arturo's little distillery and threatening to take with it the community's cultural heritage. With the financial support we're receiving from 818 Tequila, Sacred is rebuilding Don Arturo's family tachica. Or really what we're doing is we're fortifying it so as not to interrupt that heritage. We're rebuilding and reinforcing the hillside that has been eroded, creating a retaining wall that will secure the location. Above that, to serve as a buffer for the weakest part of the earth, we're building a modest tasting room where the locals can sit and enjoy the view of that forested hillside when they come to purchase Don Arturo's Vino de Mezcal. And we're building a structure around Don Arturo's earthen oven so that his tapatas are no more at the whim of the changing weather patterns than his rebuilt tachica will be. This effort to preserve Don Arturo's family business and the cultural heritage of this community in Southern Jalisco is only possible because of a grant sacred received from 818 Tequila. To learn more about this and the other projects 818 Tequila is funding, please visit us at sacred.mx. That's sacred.mx. The earth is home to all of us, and we're honored to have been selected by 818 Tequila as their partner in making it a more welcoming home. I'm Luke Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And this is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Gring X bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. Pew, 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 pew. 
which are gunshots that are hitting the roof <laughs> in a celebratory way. <laughs> Well, you don't need you don't need to be firing guns, Chava. Oh no, I need to. This is a very special episode, so I wanted to celebrate in a special way. Oh, okay, I like that. It's boy, a celebration. That's funny. I would like. I'm having trouble in my head. You know, my walk this morning. I do my my early morning five mile walks. In my head, I was playing with how do we not make this a funeral dirge episode. Oh, absolutely not. I have the, like, the opposite approach to this. Wow. You know, I get, I get very excited when I find interesting stuff that talks about problems. Yeah. Because I know that we're getting closer to better understand the problem and maybe, maybe find a solution. Oh, God, that is such an optimistic viewpoint. I love <laughs> that. I really do. I love that. Okay. So what are we talking about? Um, we had a conversation, didn't we? With a very oh, special did. gentleman. And I mean, I was, I was so surprised that he even agreed to talk to us. And it's been the first person <laughs> we've ever interviewed that had listened to our podcast. He even made the <laughs> well, effort. Well, let's, let's be fair. He might be the first person who's ever listened to our podcast, period. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've heard other people that have listened to it. Uh, but I mean, I, I cannot even start. So I guess we should start with who did we interview because we've made all this uh, preamble. Yeah, so we explained that. Yeah, so we we interviewed Dan Saladino, who is the author of this book, Eating to Extinction. He's also a journalist who's worked for decades um, uh, at places like the BBC, and he's focused on the in the last two decades focused on food, as the uh, the title of the book suggests, right? Yes, and he was telling us that he has been extremely lucky because while working to the BBC, which for me, it's like the ultimate rock star job in the planet. That's why I was very impressed that he agreed to talk to us. He had the chance to travel all around the world and he started to see a pattern in a lot of the communities he visited in a lot of the interviews he was doing around very special foods or what we will call like rare products. And he was realize he started realizing that a lot of them were endangered, and he started making this collection of stories around them that ended up in his book Eating to Extinction, which both Lou and I have now. And I am extremely surprised because Lou is reading for the first <laughs> time in ten years. Can you believe this? That is such. That is so. I represent. I represent. I I manage the website for Champion Mojo storyteller Joe R. Lansdale. That guy writes like three books a year. I read his books. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, I'm going to trust you on that. Okay. So uh, we were very lucky to, to interview him. And I think before even we start talking, we should just start with his quote. Okay. You chose a quote that I think it's freaking brilliant. So let's go ahead. Okay. I traveled to eastern Turkey, close to the uh, Fertile Crescent. So the, the very origins of uh, weak domestication itself where hunter-gatherers started to select wild grasses and then gave the world wheat and barley along with chickpeas and, and lentils. And I was with some farmers who had, uh, they were growing a type of wheat called emma, which along with iron corn were the very first wheats domesticated. So in this region, it's possible that 8,000 years of farming uh, um, had allowed this emma wheat to be passed down. 
just a handful of farmers were now uh, saving this emma wheat, which they called Kavulja. And they said they loved the look of the wheat in their fields. They felt that it was an inheritance from their ancestors. They loved the smell of it being cooked and the taste of it. And also it seemed to them, it, it was almost as if when they ate it, it was medicine. Now, all of those are kind of cultural preferences for this wheat. However, the important thing to bear in mind is that it, this, it, this was a village in which it's quite high altitude, quite damp, really cold during the winter. Very few other crops will survive as well as Kavaljar. So what I was seeing was this interplay between the agricultural story and that cultural story, that the, the cuisine had revolved around this crop that meant that survival was possible. And so they were, it was all linked up. You know how sometimes you feel like you made someone said something to please you? Like that, that you, <laughs> like you somehow have some supernatural power and you made, like you just had the perfect quote in your life. Yeah. Like I feel like that right now. This is a far more elaborate, better presented version of what we tr try to grasp, I think, in a lot of our episodes, but we never get to say this with such precise words. Okay, so so then uh, tell me how you relate this to the world of agave and agave spirits in rural Mexico. Okay, I'm in so many different ways, but I'm going to start with the one thing that I always repeat and repeat and repeat, and I'm sorry I'm my one-trick pony, but my biggest interest in agave spirits, it's beauty, and it's access to beauty. And, huh. you know, like, just what, I mean, it just blows my mind. When he says that, One of the many reasons why they love this wheat is because how it looks yep. on the fields. Yeah. That that is something that I see so much in Mexico. You know, some and in in many levels. You know, sometimes they ask, why do they cut the horns of the bulls? If that's unsafe, because they love to see those horns. Why do they sometimes love the bruto or like certain agaves are over the top beautiful but difficult to produce? This is really because they are gorgeous agaves. Yeah. And you know, and, and that has various levels of access. It is how it looks, it is how it tastes, it how it reacts during the production. Think about your foaming havali and how that blows up steels and blows up people's minds. And all these reasons why you choose a a food or a product that are based in how beautiful it is to be close to it. Huh. You know, I I I get that, but it's funny. Like I he also then talks about how it's formed the tastes and it's big, you know, and it and it's special to this region. It fits the um uh the the climate, the temperature mm -hmm. of the region. Right, whereas other wheats wouldn't. It's it's funny because you you what you read or you hear in that quote um, is your side of, of of really our conversation, right? How many times have we had the conversation where you suggest that this would be a beautiful way to do it, and I point out, yeah, but it won't actually get us the end result that we're looking for, right? But 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 this is why I'm so obsessed about these things because they make sense. You know, like, I, I think 
that a lot of the things that we find beautiful in cities, mm-hmm. they are some of the most offensive products environmentally, socially, economically. And somehow these people were so freaking smart that they were able to find extremely beautiful stuff that was not offensive to other humans and the environment. That's, that's, that's a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's it, the, the, the beauty is both visual, but also in that it fits how they live and, and what they're, and what it they're trying. It nourishes their life in, in a, a, like, I don't want to use this word because it's pretentious and whatnot, but in a holistic way. <laughs> <laughs> how are your chakras doing, buddy? Anyway. <laughs> so yeah, like, like that, that is, so much of what and 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 you know like we tend to this is so funny to me because we tend to say like the wild agave like if it was this untouched thing like the holy spirit brought the first wild agave and no human has ever touched this but we have to remember that a lot of the agaves that we love they were they're the product of interaction with humans they've been breeding these agaves i mean there's stories about Communities in the north of Mexico breeding specific species of agave or bioritals of agave. Mm-hmm. And then when they move from one place to the, uh, to the other, they will carry baby agaves with them. So they could plant them in another region where they were going. So, you know, in this story of domestication of, of wheat and corn that Dan is talking about, we also have that in agave. And I think that's a story that it's not that explore or that we don't remember that much (laughs) okay so all of that is really beautiful (laughs) and happy but you know what he what we didn't include in the quote (laughs) here is the fact that this weed is about to die well no no no, no. well yes about to die yeah it's about to become (laughs) extinct the title of the book is eating to extinction right i I mean mean, and and, no and and the and the vital point to this right is not that well, it's going to become extinct because these people in eastern Turkey are eating too much of it, right? Yeah. What is the it, problem, Chava? Well, the problem <laughs> is that, uh, you know, we have it's, cities. We have uh, a bunch of what? Well, no, keep going. Well, I, I mean, I don't want to connect everything to agave, but if you think about we have the same problem with agave. You happen to have big markets of stuff and you want very consistent products to go into factories that are going to react in a very consistent way. So diversity in many ways is the enemy of factories as we know them, right? Modernity, like modern processes, they need lack of diversity. So you cannot have one factory trading 255 different types of wheat do you want one factory treating what type of wheat that it's super efficient and optimized to their processes? Well, so what has happened is if we have 5,000 species of wheat, now we have five, six. And I mean, Dan did not say this in our interview, but he said another one that I saw that even in the UK, there's recommendations of which species of wheat you have to cultivate as an agriculture that are accepted by the factories. So suddenly... A lot of these beautiful bioritals of wheat, they are useless for the, for the industrial world. And that's what's threatening them in this specific case. You know, I, I, I think it's important to note that, I mean, it'd be easy. It'd be easy. A factory could 
actually process 250 kinds of wheat. They could do it, right? Like the equipment exists to do it. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe the real issue here is the simplification of it, right? You well, know, of course, that's why you hire engineers, Lou, to simplify stuff. Well, to simplify, you find, I mean, this is the story of tequila, right? Is find go. the agave that reaches maturity soonest, that has uh, the highest bricks count, the most sugar built into it. That's going to produce more alcohol. So that's the quote unquote best one. So just find that one and reproduce and reproduce and reproduce and reproduce. And then if you find a plot of land that has 15 different agave species that are rare and beautiful and whatnot, you don't care about that. You don't even care about using those rare species of agave. You're going to clear that piece of land from all of these beautiful things. And you're going to be, this did not serve my purpose in the way that I wanted to serve it. And you're just going to plant all the tequilana, which I think brings us to the point that you wanted to make with this episode. That is, if in the case of the wheat, the problem is not that we're consuming too much of Amas wheat or this super specialized type of wheat. That is not what's bringing it to extinction. The problem is that because we need a lot of industrialized wheat we are not giving that product any chance to exist right now. Yes. In essence, we're tearing that out and replacing it with the five kinds of wheat that uh, that the industrial companies find easier to process. But, you know, I, 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 I think it's a mistake to say that it's, the corporations, it's the it's the industry that's the problem. Because- it's an inertia. It's it's an inertia that we're all caught up in. I mean, there's not one specific entity to blame. Well, that's why I, this I is think such a is. hard problem. No, I think there is. I think it's oh, us. Lord. It's humans. Like we, you know, this is it's our 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 bartender friend whose name we don't say at his request. Um, you know, one of the things that he liked to say all the time was. Customers would come in and say, just tell me what the best one is. I want the best one. And I think it's because we want simplification. We desire simplification as a species. We don't, you know, this is the thing we get back to a lot is we got a lot of things going on in life. We don't want to have to think about. Very problematic statement. Very problematic. Very problematic statement. I don't know. Like I, I will say the exact opposite in many ways. Oh, I think if we as a uh, a species demanded that we have 15 different kinds of wheat, 20 different kinds of wheat, I guarantee you companies would supply it. They Let me want rephrase money. this. Let me rephrase this. And this is the only reason why I have a problem with this statement. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a species. I'll say that the specific culture that you inhabit tends to have that. I think I come from a very Baroque culture. I go to little towns where they will have 16 different types of corn and they know what to do with every one of them and they will grow them regardless of how hard it is to do that. And they will have, they will make, Lalo will make, because it's an episode we didn't say Lalo, they will, he will make <laughs> mezcal from 25 different species of agave regardless of how hard it is to do that. So I will yeah. claim that I, there are certain what? cultures I'll, are I'll, not as attracted to simplification as others. I'll I'll give you that. Um uh, but I I think the problem is that I mean we're talking about tequila and we're talking about mezcal. 
And these are two products that incidentally are made in these exact same communities that we're talking about. So, so is the problem that my world, right? Chicago city of Chicago is demanding something simple. Give me the simple tequila, the simple um, Espadine Mezcal that's made from farmed Espadine in Oaxaca. Is the problem that uh, that these communities in rural Mexico are complying with our requests? I think it's a combination. Yes. Well, actually, that I think that is the problem, to be absolutely honest. Yeah. I might be very so wrong. It, so it is our species is the problem. Man. It's not the companies, man. It's okay. us. Okay, let, let me let, let me take this to a place where where I think that I feel more comfortable. Uh, so, and, and you said this was going to be a sad episode. So, <laughs> and I said that I it need, wouldn't. I'm going to need some I, violins here, uh, Roy. Can you hit me with some violins? Go ahead. Na, na, na. No, I so, want to be yeah. Run the violins behind Chava. So, so we have made this statement before that gave us a little bit of problems and. We said that the best way to protect wild agave today is to drink more wild agave or or diverse species of agave and not just espadín or tequilana. And I think that today that is very true. That is the best strategy that we have. If we make these products extremely valu- mm-hmm. valuable, it's not going to happen what happened to wheat. We, we are still at that moment in which we can save these things. The problem is, and that's something that we're going to explore in a, in a second episode of uh, Eating to Extinction, is that if we win this race, if we are able to protect these beautiful agaves that are still there, we might have a second level of this problem, which is they become extremely appreciated, mainstream, everybody <laughs> loves them, investors start throwing thousands of dollars at them. Thousands of dollars. <laughs> Millions of dollars. And then... And then we might be in a, in a different place, but I think that right now our act, like our defense mechanism, as a species, if you want, uh, that Chicagoans, your your culture, should be asking for the limeños, for the extero amarillo, for the arroqueños, yeah. for for the for the you know marmoratas from Puebla. If there is a market that starts pushing companies and projects. To, to protect these pieces of land and to start planting more of these agaves, I think we have a chance. I, I agree 100%. I, you know, I, think, I think we need to start demanding in our mezcal, it, it, but in everything that we consume, we need to start demanding more diversity of ingredients. And you're just going to have so much more fun when you're eating. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, the, like, <laughs> the, the irony is, as you read, as you read the book, um, one of the things that Dan points out is that this really happened, this simplification of our food systems really happened after World War II, um, in order to feed the masses and, and the growing masses. And, you know, the, the irony in all of it that I'm seeing is, in essence, we defeated this, this force that, that tried to simplify our species, that tried to make one kind of human being. We defeated them. And then we said, hey, but that's not a bad idea for food. And, and like sort of went for this whole superior race of wheat and superior race of corn and soup, right? 
I mean, it, I, I have never thought about that in such terms, but unfortunately, you're not that far away from, from the truth. It's, it's, it's ridiculous how, how accurate that is. Uh, <laughs> would, you, would you say that that was a smart statement? I will say that was a, a typical smart statement. Yes. <laughs> okay, I think I think we can wrap the episode then. Yeah, before you say anything else, you're ruined. Oh yeah. Okay, <laughs> so, Java. Well, Señor Lu, always a pleasure. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we'll have another quote uh, and talk about this other side of the conversation in our next episode next week. Adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lou Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.